Section 36 of Essays on Art. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Essays on Art by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Translated by Samuel Gray Ward. Section 36. Hercules and Atlas. Here we find our hero neither fighting nor struggling, but filled with the noblest emulation, and the desires to give aid through endurance. Upon his way to the Libyan Hesperides to win the golden apples, he finds Atlas, the father of those heroines, almost pressed to earth beneath the immense weight of the firmament, which it is made his task to bear. We see the gigantic form pressed down upon one knee, the sweat running from him. We are struck with the way in which the body is represented, as all drawn in. It seems to form a cavern, but not dark, for the painter has displayed his art in lighting it up by means of shadow and reflection. The breast, on the contrary, thrusts out its mighty proportions into the light. It is powerful, yet seems to be strained to the utmost." You seem to see the deep-drawn breath. The arm supporting the heavenly round seems to tremble. The bodies that move within the round are not painted out as solid, but as if swimming in the ether. You see the two bears and the bull, and winds blowing, some in concert, others adversely, as might happen in the atmosphere. But Hercules appears secretly eager to undertake this adventure also. He is not forward to offer his services at once to the giant, but deplores the hardship of his position, and expresses a willingness to support a part of the burden. Atlas is charmed with the proposal, and begs him a little while to undertake to support the whole weight. Now we see the satisfaction the hero has in the action. A cheerful readiness shines in his countenance. He throws down the club, the hands ask for something to do this liveliness of motion is forcibly expressed through the lights and shadows of the body and all the limbs and we expect the next moment to see the enormous burden transferred from the shoulders of the one to those of the other if we consider rightly we shall always find hercules present himself to our imagination not as commanding but as executing which is the destiny that fable meets him in the most various circumstances he passes his life as a servant and a bondsman never enjoying a home sometimes in search of adventure sometimes in banishment he is unfortunate in wife and children as well as in those beautiful favorites to the consideration of whom we come next hercules and hylas when the hero as a youth accompanied the argonautic expedition he had with him a beautiful boy by name hylas hylas goes on shore on the Mycenaean coast, to draw water, never to return. What happened to him is here represented. Whilst he unsuspectingly stoops from a steep bank to draw the limpid water as it springs forth abundantly in the dense thicket, a nymph who is charmed with his beauty finds it easy to push him in. She is still kneeling above in that attitude and action. Two others rise from the water and unite with her. Four hands prettily grouped are busied in pushing him under, but with gentle and caressing force, as becomes water nymphs. The boy's left hand still holds the pitcher under the water. He stretches out his right to swim, but it will soon be made prisoner by his graceful captors. He turns his face to the first and most formidable of them, and the painter who could restore to us the face, 
in full perfection, as left by the ancient artist, would be worthy of high reward. The artist could present to us nothing more lovely than this pantomime of fear and longing, of desire and dread, upon the boy's features. Could he now express the gradations of the common expression in the three nymphs, distinguish and individualize the expressions of love in the first nymph, unconscious longing and innocence, playful participation in the others, he would produce a picture that might make pretensions to the applause of the whole world of art. But the picture is not yet complete. A noble and indispensable part is yet to be added. Hercules, blooming with youth, forces his way through the thicket, calling again and again the name of his friend. Hylas, Hylas, it sounds by rock and wood, and Echo replies. Hylas, Hylas, the hero stands still at its deceitful reply. We see he is listening by the left hand held against the ear. He who could express the longing that accompanies this delusive search were indeed a child of good fortune that we should be happy to welcome. Hercules and Abderos The hero here has vanquished the steeds of Diomed with his club. One of the mares lies dead, another sprawling. The third seems in the act of springing up, the fourth is sinking back. They are all rough-haired and wild of aspect. Their cribs are filled with the bones and limbs of men which Diomed used to give them for food. The barbarous horse-breeder lies slain beside the beasts, wilder of look than they. But the hero is troubled with a heavier business than his achievement, for the upper half of a beautiful boy welters in the lion's skin. Fortunately, the lower part seems to be hidden, for Hercules bears away only a part of his beloved Abderos, and the other part of the body was devoured by the monsters in the heat of the contest. This is the cause that makes the invincible look so sadly before him. The tears seem to run down, but he collects himself, and considers what will be a worthy monument. No mound or pillar shall immortalize his darling, a city shall be built, and yearly games instituted, renowned for every species of exercise and combat, save only horse racing, that the memory of that hated animal may be banished. We immediately call to mind the admiral composition which is the subject of the above description, and are made aware of the value of subjects of such clearness and significance, and whose unity is so variously composed. Our attention is drawn to the boldness with which the mangled limbs are exhibited, with which the artist so plentifully fills the horse's cribs at the same time that he has shown so much tact in hiding the mutilation of Abderos. If we examine the necessary conditions of the picture, we shall see that these indications of barbarous food of the horses could not be dispensed with. We must satisfy ourselves with the maxim, what is necessary must be suitable. In the pictures we have undertaken to exhibit and elaborate, we nowhere find that the characteristic is avoided. On the contrary, it is rather forced on the beholder. For instance, the heads and skulls which the robber has hung as trophies upon the trees, and, in like manner, the head of Hippodamia's suitors exposed on her father's palace. And what are we to make of the streams of blood that mingle with the dust, flow, and stagnate in so many pictures? We may even say that the highest principle of the ancients is significance, and that the highest result of happy treatment is beauty. And does not the same thing occur among the moderns? 
for what should we do with our eyes in church and gallery if admiral masters did not out of so many repugnant subjects win from us delight and gratitude we have remarked above that we could not bring our mind to the figure of hercules as giving commands or orders to others or originating actions and rather considering him as serving working bringing about but we are not ashamed to confess that the genius of ancient art outruns our capacities and has long ago accomplished what we considered impracticable. For now we call to mind that thirty years since there was in Rome a cast of a head, representing a Hercules, a royal aspect, that has found its way to England. In the general form of the head, as well as the treatment of the separate features, was expressed the highest feeling of repose that understanding and clear sense can bestow upon a human countenance everything abrupt rude or violent was removed the beholder was inspired with calmness by the peaceful presence you were ready to submit yourself unconditionally as to your lord and master to confide in him as a lawgiver and to choose him as an umpire under all circumstances End of section thirty six